Hey everybody, welcome to the Christian AF Podcast. Evan here. We have a super special guest on our show today. Uh, we have Dr. Scott Nelson, a pastor, academic, missional leader, uh, thinker, and uh, he was also fired from a church. So we're going to hear that story and we're going to listen uh, uh, to um, his heart, his passions, and ultimately why he got fired from a mega church in the Midwest. So uh, sit back, relax, crack open a beer or screw off a bottle of wine. <laughs> screw. screw off. Okay? okay. I was going to say or, crack open a couple drinks because this is a little bit of a, a long, long episode. So you Not may have end. to listen in chunks, but it's excellent. It's good. So. It is really good. Yeah. Uh, Don't screw off anything. <laughs> no. <laughs> Unless it's have, a bottle of wine. That's what, that's what I was going. I was just screw off the bottle of wine. You <laughs> dirty nice. minds. Behold. <laughs> hey, everybody. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. Uh, what's our uh, Christian AF? <laughs> you forgot what our podcast is. What's our podcast called? Where'd we go? Uh, Christian um, and AF podcast. <laughs> Uh, today is special because we have a special guest, a very special guest. Say special um, one more. Is time. this our first guest for 2021? No, yes. we had D- Destin. Oh, we did. Destin. No, not yes. this year. Was that mm, not anyway, this year? Whatever. We might have to check back. I think you're. I think you're wrong, Jen. <laughs> okay, um, probably. <laughs> but uh, we have uh, Scott Nelson, who Ooh. is here, the uh, pastor, uh, academic extraordinaire. Um, software. Uh, I don't know what. What's your job title? Is it? Uh, let's see. I'm the partner sales team lead at Patriot Software. Partner nice. sales team lead. Yes. There you go. Big Is deal. there a tagline QuickBooks for Christians? No. It should be. It is not. <laughs> no. It, uh, you, I'll, I'll that's not terrible, actually. I'll send you a bill. That's not terrible, actually. <laughs> Coming over the uh, next meeting. Yeah, there's I'll a lot let you of have that idea if you'd company. like. Is it a lot of churches, gonna... Scott? Um, yeah, I'm not too terribly sure. We do, we certainly don't sell to churches. No, we're yeah, primarily yeah. small businesses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we are a small church, so <laughs> it fits all the above. <laughs> uh, so let's begin. Uh, what are you drinking, everybody? Today, as per usual, Jen and I are sharing um, because we drink like each other. Um, we did not drink, Scott, we did not drink that whole bottle yeah, before did, this. This was the frustration sure of you. setting up the audio of this episode. <laughs> now, uh, we uh polishing off a bottle of Four Roses Small Batch Select. Quite tasty. Delish from uh, Kentucky. <laughs> this was like from Four Roses. <laughs> yeah, from Four Roses. <laughs> You're like from Nicaragua. Of course it's from <laughs> Kentucky. That's right. It came from the, bu- the, from the bubbling banks of... Yeah. Kentucky. <laughs> what do you got there, Evan? Um, I have uh it's juice pants. It's a New England IPA from shocking. uh yeah, shocking. That's, from Maplewood Brewery. It's not all I drink. Okay. It's just it's mostly what it's I drink. called juice pants. <laughs> yeah, it's called juice, juice pants. pants. It's a Chicago based yeah. brewery. They make some good stuff. They do. Mm-hmm. They have nice They're relatively design. new. I think uh, Scott, you moved from Chicago, what, four years ago, five years ago? 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think they're they are new since then. <laughs> Scott, what do you have? You joining us? I have a uh, a lovely Woodenville rye mm-hmm. uh, from Washington State. Hundred percent rye. Kind of interesting. Most oh, ryes are blends. Yeah, this is a hundred percent rye. And uh, a funny little story to go along with it. You know, my in-laws live in Washington and we were just out visiting them. We've been visiting them there for 12 years and I've never gone straight through this intersection by their house and always turned left. Mm. And when you go straight, you immediately hit like 12 distilleries and 40 vineyards. (laughs) Nobody ever told me (laughs) 12 years and I had no idea these were there and now they're moving. So, I mean, I just... Just a public safety announcement. <laughs> if your in-laws are visiting and you have distilleries and wineries near your house, please tell them so that they can <laughs> yeah. enjoy them. Um, That's my story. Does Canton have any distilleries yet? Have they gotten on the distillery game yet? Um, we have we have a couple of pretty good uh, brew houses. Yeah, but no dis- no distilleries. No I don't distilleries. Know we have one, right? Yeah. Two. There's one other, like an out in Harvard or whatever. There's it's always two. tricky because, like, most of the distilleries that are not in the like Bourbon County area, you know, like I always want whiskey that tastes like bourbon from <laughs> Kentucky, and you can't do that when you brew or you distill in Rockford. Yeah, <laughs> that, <laughs> that Rockford water, that vodka though, the, that Rock River, that vodka is solid. The vodka. I I actually don't know. Vodka. I've never tried it. So so yeah, so. Um, we have Scott. So Scott, do you want to tell us a little bit, um, a little bit about, uh, your background, your history, uh, it could be everything from education to work history to, uh, what you do now. Yeah. First, what was your first words when you start walking? Social security number. (laughs) Any of those. Yeah. I mean, to understand my story for me. I think the, you know, the place to start just in the high school years, for whatever reason, I was given a lot of opportunities to teach and preach in my church I grew up in. And uh, I had a lot of affirmation, a lot of people saying, wow, you're really good at that. And if any of you listening know how, you know, a man's brain works, when you tell him he's good at something, he says, that's my life calling. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You know, if your wife tells you to take out the garbage, she's like, wow, nobody does that. Like you, honey, you're like, well, I'll take it out again tomorrow. (laughs) Yeah. You know, watch this. Yeah. All Uh this affirmation. So that's, you know, that was my call to ministry was, uh, I actually won a preaching competition as a, as a junior in high school. And so decided God has placed a call on my life. They do believe it or not in Ohio, (laughs) they had preaching competitions and yours truly was the, uh, let's see, 2001 champion. Do you get like, uh, do you get like a five minute each or like you get, you got a battle on stage at the same time? You get 12. 12 You get 12 minutes. That's very biblical. It's a very biblical time. (laughs) Seven or 12, (laughs) one of the two. That's true. If you're really bad, it's only three. Uh, So that was my super spiritual call, you know, to, to care about the church and to serve the church and go into ministry, went to college for preaching, did well in college, got recruited to this growing mega church in the suburbs of uh, Chicago out of school. And, you know, man, I was all in on the evangelical independent mm-hmm. uh, mega church. You know, I was yeah. preaching there some, I was more of a, like adult discipleship associate pastor preached there once. And this church consultant guy was, 
was in town and he told somebody in the congregation, like, wow, that kid, top 10% of preachers in the, uh, in the country, which you should never, ever let a 22 year old kid hear. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, just sure. straight to your head. You think you're going to be, um, you know, the next big thing in the church world. And so I just say that to be like, man, I cared about the church more than anybody. I wanted to be in the church more than anybody. I was all about bigger, better, faster, more in the church. Right. And then this one day, God just completely changed my paradigm for what it meant to be a Christ follower and to be a minister, to be a, you know, a paid minister. What happened was just the simple staff brainstorming session. And the senior pastor of our church got us together and he said, okay, team, if, uh, you know, if God dropped us from a helicopter into a new city and said, you know, I want you to plant a new church here or start a new church here, something like that, what would we do? You know, we were thinking about going multi-site at the time. So that was the, the idea behind the question. And so I sat down with my notebook, good little worker bee, 23, <laughs> 24 years old. You know, I wanted to like be prepared for the session. So I wrote down all these notes and I just, you know, logically started to think if God literally dropped us from a helicopter and we didn't have a building and we didn't have money and we didn't have people or programs or all this stuff, like what would we do? And, and the answers I came up with were just, we would live where the people lived. We would work where the people worked. We would spend our social time where the people spent their social time. And I remember writing on this notebook before I even knew these were words. You know, I said, we'd be less attractional trying to get people to come to our building and more missional. And I didn't even know those were words. I didn't know that was a conversation that was happening. I didn't know any of this. I You're just like, I'm making up these words. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. But it was like just the logical conclusion. Uh-huh. If yeah, God yeah, drops sure. you from a helicopter, uh-huh. you know, I just trying to answer the damn question. Yeah. 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 <laughs> And, and so I show up around this table, right? And it's, you know, me and, and I don't know, 10 other folks and the senior pastor's like, okay, let's, let's share our answers. And all of, all of my other colleagues, wonderful people, not throwing them under the bus by any stretch of the imagination, but you know, their answers were like, we would pray fervently and we would worship passionately and we would study scripture to like, see what God would want us to do. And like, not bad answers, but I was just like, you know, brash 23, 24 year old kid. I'm like, we wouldn't do anything we're doing now. We wouldn't have any programs. We wouldn't do Sunday mornings anymore. Yeah. You know, like, we would throw it all out. We'd live like missionaries among the people. Yeah. <laughs> and my answer, I'll tell you what, was not welcomed. That was not what they were looking for. Right. I kid you not. This is like a, like a Friday evening or something. It was like a weekend retreat we were on. Tuesday afternoon, the next week, the senior pastor takes me out to lunch and says, Scott, we're worried about you. Oh. <laughs> we don't think you're on board here anymore based uh-huh. on those answers you gave. Yeah. Jeez. And so a couple things happened for me in that little weird story, right? One, I learned that wasn't a safe place for me. Like I couldn't use my voice there and that that's not an uncommon experience for a lot of people in the church world. But two, those ideas I had, like they just stuck. You know, God said, man, you should be doing that anyway. Even if I didn't drop you from a helicopter into a new city, like that's how you should be living anyway. Like you were a missionary among your town. 
And I'm not kidding. Like this was nowhere on my radar screen. I hadn't read a book. I hadn't been to a conference. I was perfectly content and happy up until this moment. And it just wrecked everything about church ministry for me. You know, I couldn't tolerate any longer the staff meetings that were arguing about what programs to promote in the bulletin. You know, we had like a top five and you always had to argue which small group or women's (laughs) ministry thing got in the top five in the bulletin, you know. I'm like, who cares? Let's go meet our neighbors. And just this radical paradigm shift. And not only, you know, made me super dissatisfied in the church world, it changed how I lived my life. And I'll kind of tell this little story and then maybe let you guys uh, chime in here a little bit. I was living in this condo building, 12 12 units, small condo building, suburbs of Chicago. And I'll kid you not, my only interaction with my neighbors up to this point was to take our sermon series invite cards that we would print, you know, every, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know yeah, what I'm yeah. talking about, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every couple of months. I remember specifically we had one on the Da Vinci Code, cracking the oh, Da Vinci man. Code, right? You remember when that oh, came I out? I love that movie. Oh. <laughs> Don't get us started. It was a book first. I know. I'm not reading a novel. Get out of here. (laughs) Got kids. Nobody has time for that. Yeah. (laughs) But my interactions with my neighbors would be to take our invite cards, you know, do my duty, walk to their front doors, knock on the door, Mm. pray to Jesus they weren't home so I wouldn't have to interact with them. Right. Uh And when they didn't answer their door, leave the invite card, you know, under the doormat and go my way and think, you know, did my job. Uh, (laughs) I kid you not. That was my interaction with my neighbors. And then after God said, man, you should be a missionary in your condo building. It just, it just changed everything. First thing I did was I put a kick stop on my front door so I could like hear when my neighbors were coming in so that people could walk in and out of my house and just be in relationship with them more. And uh, the first date I had with my now wife, the woman I ended up marrying, she mm-hmm. was over for dinner. I had went and like bought a tablecloth for my card table <laughs> that I was using as a kitchen table, bought yeah. the like cheap candlesticks at Bed Bath & Beyond, you know, yeah. I cooked salmon, nice. poured white wine, like the whole nine. <laughs> you know, the whole nine. <laughs> And so we're in there having, you know, our first date, having a meal and in walks a neighbor because I've got my kick stop on my door open, right? A neighbor walks in and he didn't leave for four hours. Oh Oh, my God. That's the worst. Didn't leave. It's cool. I mean, it worked out. He married her. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, well, the reason why I married her actually is because she just didn't bat an eye and, you know, just befriended this man and, um, you know, I had a vision of her being a teammate kind of admission with me in that moment. Um, it's actually quite beautiful in the end. But, you know, this guy who walks in, you know, has now become just our very best friend in the world now, 15 years later. And turns out he's a very committed atheist man and still is as atheist as the day we met him. But we have had the most beautiful relationship with him. And, uh, you know, my kids call him uncle. We moved to Ohio now. He's been out to visit probably a dozen times since we've moved. The only person who's come visited us since we've moved out here. We've had countless conversations about politics and worldview and religion and God and faith and and everything under the sun. Um, and once you get into a relationship like that, like once you 
view your calling in life not to have a thousand people at your worship service, but to serve people like that who are right in your neighborhood, it just wrecks you for forever. Like you can never go back to, you know, putting sermon series invite cards. On yeah. Those yeah. Doors. <laughs> for sure. Um, you know, this, this guy, you know, he once invited us out to this dinner and he wouldn't tell us what it was for. And we show up and he spends like 500 bucks on the steak dinner for us, you know, drinks, steaks, the whole, the whole shebang. And during the meal, he said, my dad died one year ago today. Mm. And yeah. I wanted you all to honor his memory with me. You know, that for me is his mission, his ministry, you know, loving the people who are never going to walk in the door of a church building. And that just, that just changed who I was and I couldn't do church as normal anymore. I couldn't have those, those staff meetings anymore. I couldn't have those silly little fights about seat colors and worship songs and bulletins anymore. And I just, I had to find a way to lead the church into missional living so that every person in the church was loving their neighbors like we were because it was beautiful and life-giving and and world-changing yeah you know it's funny um i mean it's funny that you just said life-giving because (laughs) uh because there was like the um the movement maybe six five six seven years ago in big mega church i think it was started by who's the glory hole guy do you know who i'm talking about the pastor in Colorado. <laughs> what? Not like glory. Like oh, a, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> that, that got dark quick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Haggard, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ted Haggard. I certainly don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Please expand. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know, just Yeah, glory hole. That's, yeah. that's not a term I'm familiar yeah. with. Though. Glory hole? All right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Anyhow, so the, because uh, he, like his big thing, because we were part of a, when we were in Alabama, part of a family of churches um, that kind of stemmed out of the Ted Haggard, I think, or Haggard, whatever. Haggard. Haggard. I think so, yeah. Um, his, like, family things, and the whole thing was life-giving churches. And, Scott, I had a similar experience when I was in Alabama uh, as you. It was It was less about, like, like dreaming stuff it was more about like hey what's our like reaction to our our kick-ass easter service that happened the the day the the couple days before and and it was a kind of the same situation we went went around the table and everyone was like oh it was awesome you know we had 20 people raise their hand to accept jesus or whatever it is and i got to meet and i all all i remember is one my wife wasn't allowed in the service because she showed up late (laughs) Um, and so they didn't let her in because it was like closed doors. The second thing was my son got pushed. My oldest son, Micah, got pushed in like the kids Nursing, class yeah. and his head gashed. So I had to leave early and I was playing piano <laughs> for the worship team. And so I was like, oh, thank God. I don't have to sit through this anymore because <laughs> we had like four services. Um, and so I got to the to the the staff meeting and I was like, you know what? I think... I, I said, I, I honestly think it wasn't great because we didn't sing about the resurrection. We didn't talk about the resurrection. We glorified ourselves far more, <clears throat> excuse me, far more than we uh, brought notice to the kingdom or the movement of God 
within our city, within our stuff. And during that time, I was going through kind of a crisis. I was in that similar situation. I was going through like a crisis of uh, traditional, tractional evangelicalism and it not matching up with the message of the gospel. Yeah. So my trajectory kind of post-paradigm shift, um, you know, I, I just couldn't do it anymore. We didn't want to quit our ministry out of anger, you know, wonderful relationships at this really, you know, great church. And uh, so we waited till kind of God sent us on to the next thing. And I ended up actually going to do a, a doctoral program in the missional church movement. A quick shout out here to Luther Seminary up in St. Paul, Minnesota, had a wonderful PhD program on uh, kind of, they called it congregational mission and leadership. And it was really, I had to get my mind wrapped around like what is happening to my life right now. Right. Um, because I quickly discovered I wasn't the only one, you know, thousands upon thousands of people across the country, you know, the Holy spirit was up to something um, in a grassroots kind of way, but also in a very organized kind of way. I mean, there were movements, uh, theological and, and ecclesiological and all sorts of stuff dating back to like the sixties and the fifties that, you know, uh, the church was being called to a new expression of faithfulness. And I went and studied it and, you know, got the PhD in it and loved it, loved every single second of it. It was amazing getting to see like, man, God is up to something super incredible. And while we were doing that, we, we toyed around with some house churches. We did all different sorts of things. And we kind of eventually ended up in this neighbor, what I would call like a neighborhood church. The church got started when five families moved into the same neighborhood to to be the church in this place. And it's like the place you would never choose in the western suburbs of Chicago. Like there's seriously nothing sexy about it, right? It's not like the hood where you're like, oh man, I'm gonna be a radical and go into a dangerous place, you know, and, and be revolutionary. It's not like super wealthy. It's just this super normal blue collar type place in the western suburbs of Chicago, but these people moved there and they lived together on and off and they, you know, shared things together and they just were the presence of Christ in this place in a way that's almost indescribably beautiful. And all their pastors were bivocational. So none of them were paid for being a pastor. They all were stay-at-home parents or had day jobs. And there's like five of them for a church of 50 or 60 people. And so we fell in love, you know, with this church. Um, and after the PhD was done, you know, decided, you know, we wanted to go the bivocational route. So we actually exited, you know, the, the, the path of ministry, right? We said, you know, that was unfulfilling the first go around, the first five years at it. And we see this church up to beautiful work. So let's just go into the business world. And so that's what I did. And I'll skip some of the details there. Um, but, I, you know, I got recruited at the end of the day by this, this church in Ohio, you know, got connected with them. They asked me to come out and big church history of being, you know, two, 3000 people. They're about 1800, 1500, somewhere in that range. When, um, when I got there, you know, asked me to come out and be the lead pastor of, of the main campus. And they had kind of been on a, a missional trajectory, which we can talk about in a little bit if you want, but you know, they said, Hey, you're the, you're the perfect person. you, you don't really like the big church. You've got the missional thing going on. That's exactly who we want to be. You know, come help us continue this path toward um, being a missional presence in our township. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we can go into that church. It's funny because uh, the church in Ohio, that was the first mega church I've ever been to. 
in my life was when I was, because my brother used to work there back in the late 90s, early uh, early 2000s, I'll say. <clears throat> he was the high school pastor, and he worked with the current leader of it and uh, another guy, and they all went to college together. And so they worked there, and we, when my family moved to Ohio, we went, we lived in that township and my brother was like, uh, just come to this youth group. Cause I didn't, I didn't have a youth group. So he's like, Hey, just come to mine. So I went to, and with his, uh, and so that was like the, I remember walking up to that building, like, holy crap. Like I grew up in inner city, small Salvation Army churches. And I walked into this building. I was like, geez. And it, like, we have a history, like my oldest brother met his wife there. My other brother, Ryan, uh, met his wife there. And so there's like a weird family history with that church. But at the same time, that church never really did. Like they fired my brother maybe mm-hmm. two years later because <laughs> uh, he helped plant the first campus of it and it didn't go well. And um, But it was a big, like I just remember that church specifically was the, it was like the big church in town around late 90s, early 2000s. It was like, oh, you, that's like, Everybody wants to be them kind of a thing. And then I do remember hearing about that shift uh, towards like the, the changeover of leadership whenever that was. Yeah. I give that church a lot of credit. You know, uh, it was a child of its age. So yeah. it, it went for, it was a church plant in the sixties, I believe. And it was just a couple hundred people into the mid eighties and a, a new pastor came and was a child of his age and led as he had been taught to lead and, you know, guys like me and, you know, maybe uh, you three that we're talking here with, you might look back on the paradigm that he was operating in and say, hey, here are the flaws we see in that. We have hindsight and can and can poke that. But, you know, he was just leading, you know, as, as God seemed to be leading in that day and led the church from a couple hundred to, to 3,000. And they had plans to go even bigger, to build the mega campus that could see, you know, could grow them to 10,000. They bought the land. They had the model all planned. And, you know, right before signing on the dotted line to make that happen, you know, this guy who had led him from a couple hundred to a couple thousand, you know, said, no, I don't think that's what God wants us to be. You know, and he kind of had a little bit of a paradigm shift. And I honestly think he took the church as far into the shift as he could, right? You know, an old dog can't really learn new tricks, but I think he took that. And I give him all the credit in the world for, for recognizing, you know, just being another huge conglomerate in this place probably isn't going to make radical change. Um, in this county, in this region. And so they started to go kind of the multi-site, multi-site movement. And as they went multi-site, they kind of developed a, you know, a love for the local context a little bit that kind of led them into the missional conversation a little bit. And they started to bring in, bring in some leaders. And I think what's going to be fascinating for us to talk about is, you know, I think I believe the best of this church, they genuinely wanted to go that direction. But I think there was something so inherently baked into who they were and their understanding of, of what the church is and what being a Christian even is, that every time they would you know, bring in the leaders to take them there, they end up actually casting those leaders aside because those leaders don't care about the things that traditionally a big church like that would care about. That's that's good. Let's let's get into so you got to the church in 2014, 15, 16, 17, <laughs> 16. Yeah. Let's go with 16. I think yeah, it was 16. 16. 
2016 yeah. and you and you come out of the this small neighborhood uh highly missional church thing into a a church that's all of a sudden done trying to rediscover a new or trying to discover a new identity in terms of um shifting from like hillsong light to hey we're we're going to try to make a a relatively uh affluent area in in northeast ohio into like a highly missional people and so uh you get there and uh what were your first like hey were were you like oh this is gonna be great or were you like oh uh -oh." (laughs) (laughs) uh-oh um no i think you know i went in very enthusiastically Mm -hmm. um it was tough for us to go is real tough. You know, when yeah. you're, when you're missional, <laughs> it's yeah. really hard to leave your neighborhood when you love your neighborhood. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we're in that same boat now. Uh, yeah. Not to spoil the story, but I'm no longer at that church. Yeah. callously fired. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, so we're in this boat now where we just love our neighbors to death, but yeah. uh, you know, live under the shadow of this, large church that did us wrong. Yeah. But no, I don't know that there were, you know, huge, huge red flags, you know, a couple of miscommunications here and there, maybe yeah. as you get started, but that's mm-hmm. pretty natural. Tried to ease, ease into things a bit. You know, they say, don't make any changes your first 18 to 36 months in an organization. Right. Yeah. Um, I guess that's what they so. say. That's not how I do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, I don't know that that many people do that, but yeah, yeah, yeah. it's what they they say yeah uh-huh. yeah for sure and um it's funny because when we left when we left my wife heather and i when we left alabama and um alabama was just a rough time and so we moved back to ohio uh scott was smart enough not to hire me um and did we try i uh, no, i applied for i applied for drew's job you did yeah yeah, yeah. And, he, and the intelligence of Scott was like, nah. <laughs> and then he hired a guy who was way more qualified <laughs> in, in every area. Um, that dude is pretty stinking awesome. He is awesome. Yeah. Uh, the And so, but yeah, so we go, but we're like, hey, we're going to make this church our, our home. Um, and it was, it was like everything that we were like hoping for is like a time of healing. Because my other brother was at a church in town, but we were like, we're not going there. And, uh, the, like the first thing, like we walked in, there was a lot of people there. It was still big church and it was, Hey, Oh wait, they're reading scripture. (laughs) (laughs) Wait a minute. They're like, like they're opening their, their gatherings up with scripture and they're, they're reading from the Psalms and they're doing all these things. And the preaching was, uh, not simply just like, uh, don't let your past determine your future type stuff, but it was like deeper and there's a little bit intellectualness to it. If I honestly, I was like, Oh yeah, this is, we could, we could do it, but um, we could be here. We could, you know, just exist. And um, so 2016, you get to the church um, and where were like, let's say, I don't know, numbers at the time of like 2016, if you could recall. Yeah. Right around 1800. Yeah. 
That's so many. That sounds exhausting. <laughs> so stressful. <laughs> <laughs> we had so Scott. We had like almost seventy on Easter. That was a big that day. Like, oh my gosh! Or so many people. I like went home and took a nap. My kids were like, "Dad, can we Easter egg hunt?" Yeah. Like, do you understand how many I people? I did talk to like two thirds of those people. Today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think they run. They run like four thousand on Christmas and oh Easter. Oh gosh. Oh yeah, yeah. Man, that's. That's no. insane. But um, so you get there, and is there like discussion of, hey, this is where we want you to take this specifically this this main campus? I, you, you know, surprisingly little. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> looking back, surprisingly little. <laughs> so uh, I'm arrogant enough, and uh, you know, a, a, I don't know, an aggressive enough leader that I was just like, well, in the vacuum of direction, I'm just going to fill it with you know, my own leadership. And so I, yeah. I pulled our team together and we, we spent a good six, seven months. Um, we actually, here I'll do another shout out. We worked through a book called God Dreams by Will Mancini yeah. mm-hmm. uh, and Warren Bird. Not actually a huge fan of most of Will Mancini's things. Um, yeah. Don't really think he gets the missional paradigm. <laughs> but this was just a pretty interesting like prayer and discernment um, tool to help churches kind of navigate like, uh, their understanding of God's calling upon their community. Yeah. And what I really liked about it was it, it encouraged you not to write like a pithy mission statement, you yeah. know, you know, those like empty missions uh-huh. statements, like love people, love Jesus. Well, like, yeah. yeah, no shit. What does yeah. that mean? You know? <laughs> um, like, yeah. Like I've never been to a church that's like hate people, hate Jesus. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like it. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, am I wrong? I don't no, think I'm wrong. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, for sure. <laughs> We make fun of those. You're not actually logo. saying anything. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah, yeah. And you're three. You're, yeah. His point was like, you're not actually saying anything. Like, yeah. You come up with that crap. Uh-huh. And instead they want you to write like a one page document and you write kind of like this. We came up with like a seven year dream to see a missionary planted on all 862 streets in our township and the missional community started in all like it depends on how you count it, but it's somewhere between like 65 and 75 neighborhoods. And, you know, we said, Hey, that was our, that was our, our goal was to be a church that would work towards seeing that happen. We had one of my favorite passages of scripture has always been Ezekiel 47. When this, um, this river starts to like leak out of the temple, Ezekiel's having a vision of God's restoration of the temple in Jerusalem, this little trickle of water starts to, to like come out from the, I think it's the east side. And in the space of like a mile, this little trickle turns into a river so wide that nobody can cross it. And it flows into the Dead Sea, which is the saltiest body of water on earth. And it turns the salt water there fresh so that uh, fish of all kinds start to live there and trees start to grow on the bank. It's just this beautiful picture of complete restoration and and just unexplainable growth and death turning to life. And we just use that as like a a picture for our church of people flowing out of our building to every street and to every neighborhood, bringing everything that was dead to life. And we lived in suburbia. So it wasn't like ending gang violence and, you know, economic justice necessarily. It was like, you know, healing marriages and um, 
helping families actually spend time together. So it was suburban stuff. We actually looked at our suburban wealthy township and said, what's dead here? And if we float out in the power of the spirit to these neighborhoods, what would God want to bring to life? And man, it was, um, it was beautiful. It was so beautiful. To this day, I'm, I, you know, I mourn that uh, I don't get to be a part of that anymore. Um, they actually kept the dream and they kept the mission. They just got rid of the guy who helped yeah. them <laughs> discover it, which is like even more painful. Oh, for right? sure. It's yeah. like, yeah. no, no, it's not the dream you implemented. It's you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. But, um, every 90 days, we would set like new objectives, new goals. We'd prayerfully say, okay, God, what do you want us to do this quarter to move one step closer toward that day? Yeah. When, there won't be a single street in our township without one person who says, Hey, I'm a missionary on this street. Yeah. Um, and there won't be a single neighborhood that doesn't have one community of Christ followers living within it for like the good of the neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's awesome. Well, and I think it's a, I mean, what I really like about that is like acknowledging that you are part of a large church and still finding a way to make that feel missional. Cause I think a lot of times when you're in that, in a, a mega church scenario, we it is much more um, inwardly focused, and it doesn't tend to flow out. And I think that's really beautiful that like uh, even thinking of a mega church being that influential in their community, that's not what I would normally think of when I think of a large church. Yeah. Most of the ones that I've seen or, or been a part of, it's always insular. Everybody needs to come into us, and this is where you. You where you do like grow. the one big day of giving, right? Yeah. Where everyone's in the city on yes. the one day <laughs> and that's t-shirt. it. Yeah. Got the t-shirt, got the Instagram <laughs> yeah. photo. We're good. Um, I, I think, I don't know. I just think that's really beautiful to think of like, I don't know, it's pretty inspirational, honestly. Like how we can, even in a large church, make such a like small impact by thinking it as in small as in every street is then taken care of. Yeah. Well, and I think that I mean a plan to do it like you yeah. kind of are, are saying is I think a lot of mega churches in our area would I would say uh maybe don't do as enough of that push out to say like here's your plan. Like obviously you go in kind of like the canned responses like now everybody go out there and be the church or everybody go and you know show Jesus to your neighbors, you know, like tip, and that's like a vague tip well. Yeah, yeah, tip, tip well today. Tip well. Buy the person right. behind you's meal. Um, but like, like there's no tangible expectation um, of the people, you know, in your c- congregation, especially that many people. It's such a daunting thing sometimes. I think that gets uh, overshadowed by lights and music and, and fancy talk, you know. And I, th- I think it's cool to see the push for that in a larger community. Yeah, and you know, we... I mean, I think we were on a good trajectory and um, we were, we were playing the long game too. We didn't just like flash in the pan, try to start, you know, 10, uh, 10,000, whatever missional communities or, you know, day one, send out 500 of the 800 missionaries. You know, we started with um, missional rhythms. We encouraged every person in our church to do three simple rhythms every single week. And um, we said, bless eat, pray, bless one person in your in your neighborhood, share a meal or drink with one person a week and do a prayer walk in your context once a week. Um, and we encourage people to track it. We developed resources. We, 
you know, tried to make it into this game. We tried all sorts of things. We just said, hey, you know, year one, we're spending an entire year just with these three simple practices uh, to get some rhythms into your life of what it's like to live as a missionary. Year two, we focused on language. You know, if we're going to actually ask people to to take discipleship seriously and mission seriously, like we're going to need like some tools, some language, because language can shape culture. And so we actually made this little flip book of like 20 some different discipleship tools that we're going to give people language to learn. And we would try to highlight one each weekend and we'd send out videos and Facebook posts and like use this tool in your like small discipleship groups to learn the language of discipleship and mission. And then in year three, we finally actually started trying to really organize these neighborhood based communities, you know, so we weren't just willy nilly, like hoping that this would happen. Right. Like we were, intentionally working at it every quarter, every year. Um, God, if this is our calling, how can we use our, our minds to the best of our abilities to try to live, you know, figure out a way to live into it? I use that discipleship toolkit all the time, by the way. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Glad to hear somebody does. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's sitting on my desk right now. I was flipping through it the other day. The, um, the one thing when I think about uh, that, that church in, in particular. And I think about like your situation in the context, because there's what, seven other churches who belong to, or there were seven other churches? Seven total. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I think you had a unique, um, of the other pastors, like a unique experience where there was like, like the lead guy, lead guy, who at, at times I felt like sh- you, it felt like it, he was sharing some of the duties. <laughs> Of that, which probably makes sense because that's like the the money maker was that 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 particular campus, if you will. But um, was that like an awkward relationship at all between uh, like what you were trying to do with <clears throat> your particular church uh, as well as what this other guy was trying to do county wide or whatever it was? Uh, interesting question. Um, to give the listeners you know a little context, yeah, there were seven campuses and you know the the lead pastor over all seven campuses did kind of share the preaching responsibilities Mm -hmm. at my campus being the flagship campus uh so we were somewhat 50 50 um that's the only thing he did okay at my campus literally the only thing um (laughs) so uh that's a whole another conversation we end up being a little bit schizophrenic little bit you know two-headed monster so to speak like we had two different identities um on the weekends i was all for kind of the team-based approach to weekends i don't think you want to hear just one voice i don't think that's healthy um but it it wasn't it wasn't that it wasn't a team-based approach where both people were in like mutual submission to one another it was just two different people yeah it's like (laughs) hey you're preaching here you're preaching there yeah yeah. You know, and, and the, you know, the tension did arise, you know, I was trying to lead the church in one direction and, uh, you know, my boss, a good man who has a lot of missional DNA, if you want to use that language in him, had planted very urban missional churches before that were very unique and edgy and, um, you know, doing cool stuff. Um, but man, it's like when he was put over charge of this, seven campus multi-thousand people thing like it just and i'm going to use this word and people hate this word um 
because it's got bad connotations, but like it perverted who he was. It distorted who he was like in, in the sense of like, it took something good and twisted it. And, and I've said this to him, so I, I don't you know, care putting this out there in the air. I've said this to him. I, you know, I think he's, he's lost kind of what he had. It's like the, the beast of what we were trying to work in. Um, you know, it changes you. It changed him. And, and uh, looking back, you know, it was even doing it to me, you know, um, you think you're in it to change it, but you, you fail to see sometimes how the, how the system kind of can change, change you while you're in it. So, yeah, I mean, that definitely created tension, but pretty early on, we recognized that tension. I, you know, I had a very straightforward conversation with him, like, Hey, you know, I'm not, sure this relationship is good between me and you like how we're managing this i'm not sure it's going to work like what do you think uh, this wasn't what i expected um so we hashed that out year one a little bit revisited it year two i offered to quit like hey you know if you need to be the guy i submit to that this is your baby that you've been tasked to lead but like, if I'm the guy for this place, like we have to go in this direction. He almost got rid of me then actually, but you know, to his credit, he went and spent like his sabbatical over the summer praying about it. Um, and came back and was like, you're right. You know, you know, you need to kind of have more leadership here and, and take it in this direction. So that's, that's what we did. You know, year three, we kind of had a little more freedom to really push toward the direction we felt God was calling us. And we were, Dude, we, I look back on it and we were doing such cool, cool stuff on the weekends. You know, like you mentioned, like you noticed, right, that we were reading scripture and uh, um, we were following the church calendar without telling yeah. people. Oh, yeah, doing, for sure. Right? You know, <laughs> yeah. because the calendar, it's not sacred in my mind, but it helps you tell the story of the gospel. You know, uh, <laughs> it actually helps you articulate the entire narrative of what God is doing and not... Um, you know, talk about parenting and marriages and finances and, you know, all that shit that mega churches or that, you know, it's shit. Those, you could say shit. It's fine. <laughs> you know, that not just mega churches, but that, you know, that paradigm of church where, where the, the weekend worship gatherings about teaching and discipleship and felt needs and not about actually proclaiming Jesus as Lord, right. As the resurrected Lord who has ascended into heaven above every other name. So there's no power that can hold hold us back and the spirit has been poured out. And so death is turning to life, like not proclaiming the kingdom and the future resurrection of the dead and the coming hope that is ours. You know, instead we trade that for this stupid, like here's three principles, how to have a better marriage now, you know, and we were moving away from that stuff, dude. We were, we were like detoxing people from it and they were getting used to it. Right. (laughs) Like it took three years for them to start, you know, getting used to actually hearing the gospel on the weekends instead of some kind of self-help crap. And we, uh, and you know, this is kind of my pride and joy. We had an Easter vigil at an independent, like evangelical mega church, right? That's all about just like three songs in a sermon. Then you go home. We did an Easter vigil the Saturday before Easter, Easter Saturday. And we had the 
like seven different groups of kids do like different art things, like different skits or art presentations. And we just did like a traditional Easter vigil. And I got to stand on stage for the great hallelujah. If you don't know what Easter vigil is, you kind of tell the story of scripture and it starts in darkness and in traditional churches, they won't say hallelujah for all of Lent, right? Like they literally will cover the cross and they won't say hallelujah. And they do all these like artsy liturgical things to like, enter into the season. We didn't do all that, but, you know, we got to tell the story of darkness and sin and death. And then I got to stand up there, you know, when we got to the story of Jesus and, and, and the resurrection, I got to like, I read Pascal's Easter sermon Yeah, and I'm just, I've got it in front of me. I'm just screaming. Cause dude, you got to go look it up. His Easter sermon, man. Or maybe it was like Melito Sardis. I forget who it was. I think it was Melito Sardis, Pascal's sermon. That's what it's called. I've been drinking too much rye over here. Yeah. <laughs> um, but dude, this sermon is just like, like Jesus is the mother effing Lord is essentially yeah. what this sermon yeah. says, right? You know, and, and I'm just like shouting it while like the band is getting ready to play. Like finally, like the great hallelujah. And we're going to sing that he's risen. And uh, people are waving ribbons in like this suburban white mega church, right? Because we gave people bells to ring and whip ribbons to wave and like i'm dancing on stage it's stuff they've never seen before ever seen before and uh you know i had this youth come up to me and be like wow that was like the coolest thing i've ever experienced in a church building before you know because like we're using art and all this stuff to tell the story because fundamentally for me our gatherings were meant to like encourage people with the good news of the gospel so that when they went back out into the mission context, like they were filled once again with the hope that the story of God brings, not with principles, not with, you know, uh, pithy lessons, you know, about how to live on mission, but just with the raw power of the good news. Yeah, for sure. And that was, so you did the vigil. Was that your last Easter? It was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Man. We yeah. hate Easter now. <laughs> Easter's <laughs> traumatic for us now. <laughs> yeah. So what, what, I guess, uh, would you, where, where did the, the turn happen? What, what, what went down? <laughs> yeah. Where's Spill the, the tea. The meat. What's the tea? <laughs> the tea. The tea. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, in May, you know, apparently. Um, of 2019. Wasn't, wasn't good enough. May of 19, yeah. I yeah. uh, had kind of like a surprise evaluation uh, with my team leader. And this is kind of one of the things that pisses me off about independent churches and why I'd never recommend uh, anybody ever work for an independent church, actually. <laughs> um, well, they're just terrible at HR. Well, thanks, right? God. They are. Gosh. <laughs> I would, I would, like. When you're in an independent church, you're just uh, at the whim of yeah. some, usually a dude, yeah, right? Um, sure. Not nearly often enough a woman, but yeah. um, we have mostly women on our yeah, we have That's mo- true. Yeah. It's me- you're looking at the guys. <laughs> Maybe it'd be better. Yeah. You're just at the whim of leadership. Yeah. Anyways, so you know, I get called in for kind of like a surprise meeting. Like, hey, want to do like your yearly evaluation here in May. Like, oh, okay, cool. I'm always open for, you know, evals. Those are good. Yeah. And was given out of left field, uh, 
a task to grow the church by 150 people, which would have been about 10% at the time. We were yeah. running about 1,500 uh, to grow it by 150 people by October. Hmm. Over the and summer, which is ridiculous. <laughs> over the summer, yeah. yeah. Those are growth months for churches. Yeah, grow 10% sure. over the yeah. summer months. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Not only summer months, but summer months in like an affluent lake house having right. type <laughs> yes. people, you know? Lake yeah, people. absolutely. In the boat. Absolutely. I wanted to, you know, I should have said, you know, well, according to sociologist Rodney Stark, the early church to get from a couple thousand people to 300 million people in 320 years, that was about a 4% growth. Yeah. <laughs> you know, right. like if you do the math, it's 4% growth That's a year. Awesome. So hey, we're not you're asking me to do more than the apostles Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> over the summer yeah. in a suburban community where everybody's yeah. at the lake. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, and it's my fault. I didn't, say enough you know i should have said that's nowhere on our radar that is not part of the dream god gave us like yeah. if we grow by 10 percent or summer awesome you know we're mm-hmm. playing the the strategy of if you get people in the neighborhoods the gospel will spread and i don't care if they ever come to our church building or not yeah for it sure. literally does not matter if they worship with us on the weekends right yeah, yeah. um and so i was given yeah i was given this target to hit and never asked about it again, right? Yeah. Never asked what I was doing to reach that goal. And we did some things, you know, to try to grow our weekends. And in October, like I was pyrotechnics, notice, like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're like, hey, we're we gonna have like, fireworks in the sanctuary this Sunday. Tried to Come get on. better at like <laughs> our like I forget what we called it, like our welcome experience. Oh you yeah. Know? stuff like that yeah, better coffee or whatever hey we have uh you no know, like we changed like the cards in the pews and we changed our welcome class and had more greeters to try to make it easier for people to stick at a you know service if they they came um yeah october i was just said hey we want to meet next week do another evaluation it's like okay don't need to prepare anything for that you know because usually we have forms and like reviews we complete and they're like no just show up and so I came, went in and said, hey, you know, we haven't seen seen any progress toward this goal, so we're going to let you go. Oh, man. Was that with the elders or just like a couple? Nope, that was with the lead pastor and kind of his right hand, hmm. his right hand person. Wow. Um, yeah. They were nice enough about it. You know, they said, said nice things. Is he still the right hand guy? Is he still there? Yeah. Yeah. The right hand guy. Yep. Did you um, when they when they gave you the goal in May? Did you feel like it was a your yeah. job is on the line task, or did you feel like it was just a uh like a challenge, like more of a a leadership challenge type of a thing? Yeah, like you know? hey, you grew by fifty. Hey, that's great work. You know, yeah. like I guess that's kind of my question. <laughs> you know, honestly, um, I assumed it was like so the 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 lead guy is in ultra creative person and so you yeah. often be given um hey i have this idea for mm. you know what you do yeah he's an idea and then like it would a, never but like come up lofty would goal never try. come up again yeah well, no it just never come oh, up okay. again mm-hmm. yeah. you know you know and, and some of them are like i want you to create this like team of 30 people who can be this that or the other you know like i want you to like be out in the community at like business networking lunches and have like 30 business leaders that you know like it never got brought up again and i 
that was nowhere like part of what I was doing, you know? And so it just never happened and, and it never got brought up and it wasn't a problem. You know, that was one of a dozen of those type of things. And, um, so, I, you know, I kind of assumed this would just kind of be another one of those things. And, you know, I was trying to play the game a little bit, you know, like do what we could to remove obstacles to kind of natural growth without giving up who we were trying to be. You know, we were launching leadership pipeline initiatives, right, where we were, you know, inviting our best leaders into a year long journey. We we're really going to equip them to kind of lead these missional communities. Evan, did you do that? Actually, I did. Yeah. And I kind yeah. of stole the You're idea. Kind of doing it here right I'm now. I'm doing it here, but yeah, we call it right. You know, and so like, but yeah, yeah. I, yeah I, I, so like Drew that's what all the, all the deets. You know, that's what was gonna lead to us making you know bringing life into our neighborhoods, not 150 mm-hmm. people more. Yeah, in the weekend. So you know, I tried to play the game a little bit, and you know, probably should have done more. So I own my part in it, but yeah, they. They called me in and just, um, you know, said, this is, this is the primary reason why. And we're just going to effective now. And I'll, I'll kid you not. It was, um, it was like we died. Yeah. It's like I died. Um, this was my experience of being fired. You know, so I, I walk into the office, I'm fired. I knew it was coming actually because my, uh, my boss stopped making eye contact with me Mm. two weeks earlier. Mm. Um, And then you had to wait a week for that meeting to just know. I think my response to him was, you know, I'm not surprised when he told me they were firing me. I was like, because you stopped looking at me. And in a previous job, my position had been eliminated once and just in the business world. And my supervisor had stopped making eye contact with me for like a week before they had to break the Uh news. And so he was just doing the same thing. And so I knew it was coming. But so they tell me that it's on Tuesday. I have to leave immediately. Um just said goodbye to whoever I saw on the way out. You know, people yeah. start crying. It was just crazy. It's surreal to think about it now. Um, on Thursday, they sent out my obituary. Right? <laughs> they sent out this nice, that's what I call it. They sent yeah. out this, yeah. this nice email uh-huh. and it was so poorly done. I kid you not. It yeah. like sang my praises left and right. You should, Evan, you should dig this thing up if you have I'll a copy yeah. of it somewhere. Yeah, yeah. It was like, it. man, Scott's so amazing. We love his family so much, but we've made the decision like not to have him here anymore. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's essentially yeah. like, <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, but he died. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then that weekend at, uh, at their worship gatherings, they had a normal gathering. I obviously wasn't there. And then at the end of the gathering, they gave my eulogy. They gave a nice three-minute eulogy where the guy who fired me stood up and in tears said such nice things about me, how much everybody loved me, and then used some kind of vague language about, you didn't say, but we fired him without <laughs> warning and yeah. with no you know, precipitating events. Um, used some kind of vague, vague language, you know, like we decided to part ways or go another direction. Like, I, I don't know exactly what he said. I wasn't there. You know, and so at the end of all three services that weekend, they he cried and told people I was no longer going to be there, and people cried in in the crowd. And it was uh, the the fall festival weekend, which they you know chose a great weekend to do that. So, um, and my face was in the scavenger hunt, like there was like oh, a big face yeah. me out in a field somewhere, yeah. right? <laughs> and they had already printed all the scavenger hunt papers out. Yeah. And so now and it's like, so hey, it was like, fine. They're go like, by. oh, we can't find, find Pastor him. Scott's fired. face. But get this. They put a black cloth over oh my, my face. Oh, my God. 
Oh, Lord. <laughs> I kid you not. Golly. Like they didn't know what to do because nobody told the staff they were going to fire me that weekend, right? Oh, the staff God. didn't know what to do. It's like they cover my face. Gosh. <laughs> have you ever seen? Have you ever seen the Emperor's New Groove? Yeah. The Disney movie. The uh-huh. New Groove. There's this scene where like the villain who kills tries to kill the emperor is like doing his eulogy, right? Yeah. And everybody's sad and crying. And she goes, Welp, he ain't getting any deader. Yeah. Right. And then they they paint over his face yeah. like uh-huh. in throughout yeah. the empire. Yeah. Like, that's what happened to me, yeah. right? Like they have these three minutes of sadness. Wow. And then it's like, Welp, Scott's not getting any deader. And then they never said a single word Man. to us that's, again i think that's I, your analogy is so spot on like uh at a previous church we uh we weren't on staff but we basically were running the church for for years and uh we we decided to branch off and start another church because it just felt like a calling that we were trying to accomplish and the church basically like yeah, that we were dead immediately when that came up, and we were supposed to have a send off, and the church sent it, you know, and like the, that morning they told us, no, that's canceled. Uh, we don't agree with you, and we're not, we're not backing you on this. And it was just like one of those, like it's weird because you just feel like you got to leave and you don't talk to anybody anymore. Like you had all these relationships for years, all these things built up for years, and now it's like in immediate two seconds, now you're not friends with anybody. You're like, yeah. what? Yeah, it's so different than like <laughs> a normal job. Like you get fired from a normal job. Like you can, your coworkers don't necessarily desert you. You can keep, it's just a totally it's different. A church thing. I, it's so weird. Like yeah. you can't talk to the person. You're like, oh, that's, we, I don't know what to say. Well, and then there's this like feeling of, well, I don't want to take anyone to another church if I go somewhere else. And so you just don't talk to anybody about anything. Right. And yeah, ugh, it's. Yeah, that's why we've always moved. If I ever got fired from a church, I'm like, "Hey, we're moving." I, you know? New so Scott, you want to come to Rock? That's what or? smart people do. That <laughs> is what smart people do, Evan. Yeah, uh, Evan's yeah, trying to build but... a speaking team. Uh, yeah, it's, hey, Scott, it's if, free? You come, if you want to come to Rockford, Unpaid. if you want to be bivocational, <laughs> aka if you want to be vocational somewhere else, come on, you come preach whenever you want. Right, right, right. Um, no, but the uh, the funny thing is, is like. Um, so that church has a history of like that kind of a thing, um, of of like a a no a no uh, warning firing. They just kill their pastors. Yeah, they just it's just like <laughs> it's like a cutoff. I don't know if it was if that's like an uh from that prior generation of churches. If that's just like what happened, it was very business like. Hey, you're not doing it. You're done. Um, like, cause I remember when my brother got fired from there in 2000 and I don't know, six from the, uh, the first campus that was planted. Um, it was like sudden he was like, Oh, Oh, I'm, you mean I'm fired like right now? They're like, yeah, like I'm effective mm-hmm. immediately. Uh, and even when I got laid off from, uh, the one, I'm trying not to use the name. I'm trying to. Hard. It's like really hard not to. Be one like, of the campuses. Yeah, like, one of the campuses. Yeah. And it was it was like sudden. It was like, and I just tore my ACL on Sunday at, at the youth group for that church. So I I tore my ACL playing kickball, and I show up, and me and and the pastor of that campus, we have lunch because we had lunch every week. We had lunch. We were hanging out and stuff like that. And then 
the the second the the right hand man showed up, and I was like, uh oh, yeah. it was about to be a conversation because whenever he showed up, it was a conversation, mm-hmm. and uh, they're like, hey, we don't have any money, which was true. Like that that can't that campus no longer exists, so it's they they kind of always struggled with the kind of making it work. It was a different town, but anyhow, it was always that hey, there's no warning. We're just gonna let you go, kind of a thing. And I, I wonder, like, have you ever like have you thought about in general? Have you been like, you know, this is like a weird church thing that happens in terms of hey, they just let people go without discernment, <laughs> without spiritual I don't know, without trying to think about it spiritually or or feel it spiritually. I mean, I do not think it's unique to yeah, this church that we were sure. part of. I do think it's you know endemic to at least the kind of independent community church, evangelical community church. Yeah. You know, at least the white one. The, those are the ones I know, so I want to just qualify that, right? You mm-hmm. know, the primarily white, evangelical, independent community churches. I can't speak to other types of churches as much, but the tragedy for me at our church and what I've seen so many other places, because I've been writing about my experience some, yeah. <laughs> which the That's local folks do. do not like. Do oh, not yeah. Like at all. Uh, around the country, though, support like you wouldn't believe. But as I've been writing, man, out of the woodwork, people are coming. So many people. I've had conversations with people I don't even know who like find it on Facebook or the link gets shared and they see the story and they're just like, man, I got, I've never talked to anybody about what happened, uh, about the trauma they experienced at the hands of their church. And the tragedy for me in these types of churches I've been a part of is that staffing to use that word is neither spiritual nor professional, right? <laughs> like it's, at least in denominations, you often have a nice bureaucratic HR process, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my like Lutheran friend contacted thing, me. You know. you know, my Lutheran friend contacted me after I was fired. He's like, "Wait, you guys can fire people? <laughs> can't fire their pastor because they're called in the Lutheran denomination. You're not hired. You're called. Literally, that's the language. You're called to this, and a church cannot terminate." your call. You can disqualify yourself from your call, right? With sinful behavior or something, but your church can just not decide you're no longer called there because there's a spiritual element to it. Um, In many of the independent churches, the tragedy is it's neither spiritual, right? Nor professionally done. Um, And like, you know, I mentioned earlier that the system just kind of distorts you and perverts you when you're in it. Like I actually, Maybe a couple of months ago, I had to call this lovely woman who I reduced her hours. She was on my staff when I was at the church, and I reduced her hours without prayer and without warning. And she ended up getting super angry and quitting. It was a whole mess. There was reconciliation, so it's fine now. Um, but I, I had to call her and say, listen, I always thought I was justified because we reduced your hours out of cost cutting. But like, even in a decision like that, I should have given more spiritual attention to the fact that you were called there and just reducing your hours was like changing your call. And there should have been like prayer and discernment and mutual submission involved. Um, you know, my kids have been 
traumatized by this whole experience and partly because I'm not a good enough person to lie to them or try to shield them right from what happened you know my 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 middle child my three boys my middle child was four and a half five when it happened and you know he a couple months later is like can we go back to this church when I go to my Sunday school class <clears throat> because they serve me lucky charms. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> why he wanted to go back. yeah. And I was like, no buddy, you know, we're not going back there. And he's like, why? Well, well, you know, pastor so-and-so fired me. He's like, what does that mean? Like, well, he doesn't want me to work there anymore. Why does he want you to work there anymore? Well, the church wasn't big enough, pal. Uh, how big did he want it to be? Well, apparently 150 people more than what it was. Yeah. yeah you know? Yeah. Because that's the truth. Yeah. Right? Yeah, like that's sure. quite literally the truth. That's always, yeah. you know, and it, I, I so wish I could have told my son, and then I'll let you you talk. Oh, yeah. I so wish I could have told my son, you know, you know, pastor so-and-so came to daddy and said, hey, we really sense God's leading is in this direction. Would you prayerfully submit to the Holy Spirit? with us over these next two, three, four months, you know, passionately seek God's voice. And then would you just commit right now? We will mutually submit to one another. However, God leads, you know, what if we had stood in front of the congregation together and you know, what if I had been able to say, listen, I actually don't agree with this. I do still think I'm called here, but at the end of the day, I'm going to submit to this team of leaders who think my call is over because, you know, that's how we relate to one another in the body of Christ. You know, how beautiful would that have been? And what kind of model would that have set for my children and for the church instead of daddy just got told on a Tuesday, he's no longer there. And then a sing- not a single elder or a single person the lead team have said a single word to daddy ever since not a word. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> like how how bad was the temptation to just like burn it down as you walked <laughs> out? The good news is, you know, the first stage of grief is denial. Uh-huh. Yeah, right? for sure. Um, we were the classic grievers. We still are. Yeah, it's kind of annoying, actually, how textbook we've been. You yeah. hear your own person, uh-huh. you know, and have uh-huh. your own thoughts, and then you realize you're just like everybody else. Uh-huh. So, I mean, we were doing everything we could to keep it afloat, to tell all the big donors to stay there, yeah. keep their money there, keep our friends there. Uh-huh. Um, dude, we had more people in our house. You know, we did more ministry <laughs> after getting fired, you know, cause people were hurting. They lost their pastor. They didn't have a say. Right. I think it's always hard going at, at that kind of perspective too. Like just the staff. I mean, is I feel like there's needs to be a responsibility of, of churches to look at staff and a church almost as a relationship to a point, like uh, in the sense of respecting each other in that regard, rather than a business standpoint. And I think there's a lot of business that happens in churches because quite honestly, a lot of churches are businesses that, you know, when you look at it in the end of the day, and that's where you get a lot of the cutoffs and the firings and the this and that. But like when you're looking at it as a, uh, at looking at people through the lens of, Jesus or God, like, I don't feel like that's treating people properly. You know, like I, there's that's there's no relationship there, and I, I think there needs to be a shift in that. Sometimes I it just drives me nuts. I I and this is coming from me probably like I'm still friends with every single girlfriend I've ever had. 
other than one. I feel like there's there's little to no reconciliation in those kind of situations, you know, and there's why not? Why can't there be a this is a, you know, like you said, I will submit to this decision. You know, I don't agree with it per se, but there's like you said, there's a better send off to be had. There's a better relationship to be, you know, reconciled there rather than just cut ties and go. And I think that happens so often in the church, whether it's staff or not. It just happens so often that it, there's no respect for a relationship that was built there, you know. I think the problem is when you, like you were talking about the independent church specifically, is because money is involved. And when you look at an independent church, you're self-reliant on your money, on where it's coming from, on how you're paying people. When you look at denominations like Lutheran, Catholic, yes, they're taking a tithe every week, but they also have support of a system bigger than them. And so if they have, if a congregation is slowly dying, that pastor is still getting paid, right? Like there's hundreds of years of (laughs) of people tithing. But again, when we look at like our, like an evangelical white church with people with a lot of, with deep pockets, um, that's who ultimately controls the congregation. That's like, that's why we're concerned about, well, we need to add 150 people and we need all of 150 of them to give, or we need, um, it's about, it ultimately crosses this weird line of spirituality and business because the money stays in inside of those walls. Um, and I think when you go to bigger denominations, that doesn't happen quite the same way. Like their yeah. focus is less on, the money inside that building. Um, like, I don't, I grew up Catholic. I don't ever remember them talking about how much money was, like, you don't see in the bulletin how much money was given. At least when I grew up in Catholic church, they didn't ever po- put that, that in the bulletin. business under the table. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Catholics have a lot. The Catholic church has a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> like, they, they don't have to I mean, they own like it. half the world. But, so, so, <laughs> so uh, Scott, uh, before we, let you go. Uh, do you know were the were the elders, the elders of that church were they brought into this decision or was it, or would you even know of that? Uh, I mean, I haven't had a ton of conversation. <laughs> um, you know, I like I mentioned, I did start writing about my experience some um, recently, and yeah. uh, somebody disagreed with me about why I was fired. And, <laughs> and I was like, well, that's funny. I was there. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, I know what they told me. And, but anyway, this person's like, Hey, you should go back to the source. Cause there's like something else that was going on. Like, that's strange. So I went, went to, you know, my former boss and, and said, Hey, so-and-so said, you know, there were other reasons. Is there something you didn't tell me that I should know about? And he said, Oh, I really appreciate you reaching out. This was the first time I had heard a single word from him in the over a year since I'd been fired and said, why don't you and I uh, meet with all the elders and we'll clarify for you all the reasons we fired you. Oh. All the re- <laughs> why we all unanimously the decided to fire you. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. That sounds horrible. Who would <laughs> yeah. ever go back to their former employer and be like, could you tell me again why uh, why you fired me? But uh, presumably, yeah, there was you know unanimous agreement um, to do it. And you know, I won't sit here and pretend I'm, was without flaw, you know, 
Uh, I'm a thinker, and the church is a feeler's world right now. And that's a whole podcast in and of itself. Uh, um, we've, we've been there there's a few times. Yeah, yeah. No room for thinkers, I think, in the in the church these days. Um, so there were, you know, there were sore spots, raw spots, you know, pain points um, for folks there. Um, if we're if we're kind of trying to wrap this this sucker up, you know, I think for me you know, a couple things from my story. Like I want people to know how traumatic it is for my family. Like I want an elder in an independent church to think twice because my kids still cry when I tell them they can't go get their lucky charms because my eight-year-old still has rage issues because his life has been so destabilized by this, you know, because my wife still grinds her teeth at night when she's trying to sleep because I at least was in the meeting and got an explanation. She has never had a single word spoken to her, not one. Um, and And I want people to know that. You know, I want people to know what it's been like for my family now to to live in the shadow of this church that did this to us. Um, and I want people to know it's messy and not sanitized. Our, our church tried to sanitize it so much. Um, I was sitting at my son's soccer practice last summer. So it was like a year after it happened. And this woman looks over and she's like, I know you. And she's like, wait a minute. You were our pastor. (gasps) We were so sad when you left. You were our favorite pastor. And I just said to her, yeah, I didn't leave. It wasn't my choice. You know, and she's like, oh, yeah, you know what I meant. But I'll kid you not, everybody uses the language, even like our good friends who have walked through this journey with us. When you left, nobody ever says, when you were fired, I know I struggle with that. I'm like, when I left Alabama, I'm like, no, nah, I was fired. Like, I said, I'm like, it's a, don't say the f word. And it's like they couldn't, they couldn't let it be messy and painful. Like it had to be something that was sanitized so that they could keep on consuming their product and paying for it. Right, like that to use crass language. Um, (laughs) they didn't want to know the blood that was on the hands of this product that they were consuming, which was their weekend worship gathering. And so I've been trying to tell the story some just so people maybe think twice before they, you know, just can a pastor because they think a, a program should be bigger or preaching could be better or music could be different. Um, but I also want to say to you know your listeners, this is why your ecclesiology matters. And this is why your understanding of the church matters. And hopefully this doesn't get too nerdy or teachy, but um, one, of my, one of my mentors, Craig Van Gelder, has this really pithy type saying that is, I think, really helpful. It's a three sentences. The church is, that sentence number one, the church is. The church then does what it is, right? So the church has an understanding of who it is. 
the church then performs its understanding of itself in the world, right? It lives out its identity in the world. And then the third sentence is the church organizes what it does. So the church is, the church does what it is, and the church intentionally organizes its performance of its identity. It does, it organizes how it, how it does what it is, how it, Right. You know, what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and so ultimately what he's saying is who you think of yourself as the church gets lived out and then that gets built into your structures. And uh, in his book called the ministry of the missional church here, he, I think really helpfully highlights three different paradigms, you know, that have been true of the church. And there's the, what he calls the established paradigm. You can think of like, you know, the medieval world kind of where church and state maybe refused a little bit where the church saw itself like as the state, as the geographical representation of God's authority, right? On the earth, you know, I'm talking about. Um, And then, you know, the Protestant revolution comes along, we change it up. And he says, you know, then the paradigm that became prominent is the corporate church is how he calls this paradigm. And he says, in this paradigm, people um, connect together for a purposive intent is his language. So it means they connect together for a specific purpose. And, and this is what I think is key. And they do so on a voluntary basis, right? So in the corporate church, everything is voluntary. Your membership is voluntary. Your employment here is like at will employment, right? It's voluntary. You're not called to this place. You're not a part of the body. Like you are a volunteer staff member here. And this is the paradigm that, you know, we've had in the, at least the white evangelical American church for the last generation or so is this kind of corporate church where we gather together because we like this church because we want to be here and we organize around a specific purpose, which is, you know, generally to have a larger worship, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, know, you know, or sometimes it's to have multiple sites or sometimes it's to have movement, but it's all the same damn thing. It's all the same blind growth ambition to conquer the world on behalf of God. It's to do something on behalf of God to accomplish growth on, for his, you know, his sake. And there is a dark side to that paradigm. And my family was sacrificed on the altar of expansionism. Um, you know, my, my brothers and sisters made the decision to sacrifice my family to the God of growth, right? So they could see more people. And it's a tragedy. It's nothing but a tragedy that we mourn to this day. People call me bitter and jaded. And I'm not, I'm just calling a spade a spade and saying, this is something we should all be grieving about. Um, And so how you think of the church matters. And where Van Gelder eventually goes in his book is we ought to think of the church as a spirit-formed community called and sent on mission together um, by the Holy Spirit. And if that's the case, you know, if, (laughs) if the Spirit had called us to that place, to that people, to live on mission with them. You know, how dare you just cut off a part of that body? And I'll, I'll end with this, and this is probably my favorite kind of thing that happened in, in, in the wake of the firing, in that nice eulogy they gave me. Um, they used the language that they decided I was no longer a fit 
And one of our missional leaders, you know, missional community leader went up to the pastor afterwards and was like, you know, 1 Corinthians 12, you know, says the church is a body and that, that we're all a fit. Like, how can you say somebody's not a fit anymore? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was yeah. like, that's, that's actually pretty good. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty yeah. good theology, you know. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Well, hey, man, it's been great uh, to hear your story. And, and really, it's uh, because, you know, here in, in Rockford, we, we had a church go through a very, 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 very similar Mm-hmm. Story to yours. They, at probably at one point, it's probably the biggest church in town. Yeah. I would say so. Very similar church and a very similar story. I feel like it's incredibly awkwardly similar. Yeah, it's like <laughs> now that I'm thinking about it. <laughs> you know, uh, which leads me to believe that unfortunately your story is not unique. Yeah, that, I mean, this happens story, yeah. all over, and there's that's something toxic in that mm-hmm. this environment that yeah. needs to be talked about and recognized. I, I mean, like, yeah, it's no, I mean, it's not any secret. We're not a huge fan of mega church mentality. Uh, but I think that's, that's one thing that definitely needs to be addressed in those situations. Cause I mean, mega churches can do some amazing things. Yeah. Ironically, the youth pastor of that church is preaching at our church on, uh, on, uh, Mother's, Mother's Day. Day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's but she's very, the Rockford church or our, yeah, yeah Rockford church. church. No, yeah, no, no. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but I, I, agree. I don't know I who, think, who the, youth pastor is in ohio yeah but I the paradigm you know best. go ahead it's not just in the mega church right yeah. right the, the corporate identity of the church mm-hmm. is in all sizes of churches yeah, because they've been taught to strive right to be yeah because they've lifted up and, the big churches as the, the as number the paragon yeah, yeah it's that it's the it's the capitalistic christianity you know we we've bought into i think uh, the growth system. it's hard to argue with it too because when you're in those positions, you're like, yeah, we should grow, but also it shouldn't be the goal. Like, yeah, yeah. It shouldn't be the main goal. You should grow authentically, right? Yeah. And, 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 than... and like you said, if it doesn't happen, it doesn't really matter. Like, you know, if it, as long as you're making an impact in your neighborhoods and the places you live, that's the, that's the goal. That's the point. And I think a lot of that's a missed thought in, in a lot of churches. I mean, Jesus is still Lord. Yeah. Regardless sure. of whether, mm-hmm. you know, my church grows by 100 people, but whether my GoCo or we call them Go communities, you know, whether my missional community neighborhood succeeds or fails, whether the church that I was a part of dies, right? Like Jesus is still Lord. The kingdom is still here. The future is still bright and certain. And yeah, there's this just awful ambition and egoism that even in the missional folks is still there, right? It's gone from the mega church to the multi-site church to the missional church to now the movemental, right? It's all the same, same ambitious, accomplish something on behalf of God because we don't have the theology that God is accomplishing it himself. We get to join him in the fulfillment of that work. Wow. Yeah, that's <laughs> awesome, man. We'll call you again next week and talk some more. (laughs) So do you just want to be the fourth person in the Christian (laughs) AF podcast verse? I mean, I think what's interesting about all this is like, we kind of started this because we really like to question things about our faith, about um, church culture norms, about 
any aspects of like what people, especially people maybe not that aren't believers think about the church and why they think that. And is there truth behind those things? Is it in, is it biblically based truths? Are they like, why, why not ask questions? And I think a lot in the church, we don't, we're kind of told not to. Um, and it's just kind of like, listen to the person up front or the people leading the church. And that's that. Well, so you like, better, you better listen. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, but I mean, I think even hearing fire a volunteer, Evan. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I think even hearing like you had someone on your leadership team question that pastor. Like you don't hear those kinds of stories very often. People don't ask questions. It's just oh, the pastor's dead, and we move on. Mm -hmm. Um, When someone is let go, but I think asking questions in our community, like hey, why is this happening, or like seeking truth and and holding leadership to admitting some kind of truth instead of the flowery words that make everyone stay and be happy is so much healthier than what the cultural norm is. And that's kind of where this podcast came from is saying, you know, having a real conversation like last week's episode was about heaven. And is it a, you know, we don't know the answers, but like, why not talk about, is it a real place? What is it? Or, you know, any of the topics we've discussed, yeah. politics, all the things Christians well, don't I mean, like to talk about. For you if you'd like. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Listen to our episode and then t- call us and tell us how wrong we were. We'll you. do yeah, a follow yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, as long as you said it's, you know, the new heavens and the new earth recreation we of our we, we got there. We did. We, got we there. did say that. Okay. Then you're right. Then you're good. <laughs> Nailed it. Yeah. Um, you, you know, actually talk. About the resurrection of our bodies. Yes, yes. we did. We got we there did. too. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Excellent. we're on track. You don't need Scott, you're, no, we you're said, hired, man. We said, you know that drawing that you see in your grandma's house? That's where you go. That's what we said. <laughs> yeah. That was the answer. Done. Podcast over. The precious uh, moment. Yeah, yeah, the yeah, 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 yeah. Or uh, what was the What Dreams May Come with Robin Williams? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I never saw that. Uh, don't. It's awful. <laughs> I know. Um, All right. Well, sweet man. That was a great. Yeah. Thank you. We'll definitely have to have you back on again to talk more stuff. Um, you could just come to Rockford and we'll, well do he's it supposed to at some point to teach and preach. So. <laughs> we'll just keep saying it. We'll be like, yeah. come. That's what I hear. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I hear. Yeah. <laughs> cool. All right. We're going to fake sign off here with you and then uh, wrap this up. So thank you again, Scott. We appreciate it. You're welcome. Yeah. It was a great Whew. conversation. That was awesome. Yeah, uh, clearly there's a lot more to be addressed with uh, the general institution yeah. as a whole, um, not just mega churches. I, I should backtrack on what I said, but it's it gets too corporate. Mm. Church gets yeah. too corporate. So, well, and yeah. I think you could have that conversation with 25 people who've had the same experience, and that's just really unfortunate. And I don't know. I mean, I don't think that there's yeah. a there's not a solution, unfortunately. But how do we? I think can yeah. we care for I mean, our stepping, pastors better, especially. Steps, though I think you, if you see that happen in your church, and you are part of one of those churches that let go uh, because it didn't fit or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, the excuse is, um, hold people accountable. Ask yeah. ask your lead yeah. pastors, ask your elders. Like, why? Tell me why. Reach out to the guy who got yeah. fired. And if they can't give yeah. you a true answer, there's something going on there. Like, it, it doesn't yeah. really make sense. And clearly, there's some things that are under, you know, behind the scenes that happen that maybe they don't want to push out publicly. Yeah. You know, sometimes that makes sense, but like other times, it's just like that happens a lot of times where it's just you're not, you know, you're you're not meeting numbers like we asked. Yeah. So, or you know, or whatever. He said, you know, he's not at completely un, at fault 
in some other degrees, but like, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the one thing. I mean, pastors are human beings, um, and human beings have their quirks about them. Uh, and but the beauty of the church is that, or the the goal of the church should be at least, hey, we got to figure out how do we navigate through because it's not just like for Scott, it wasn't like. So Scott was fired based off of a bunch of people's, essentially a bunch of people's thoughts of him. Um, and Instead uh, of going to him yeah, about instead of going it. going to him. A... And instead of being like, hey, let's, hey, there's a bunch of crap that's going on. How about we just talk about it? Mm. Like we should say, instead of doing that, they were like, no, you're gone. Rather than, hey, no, the point of the church is to be able to work through and to love through each other's quirks mm-hmm. and each other's issues. Because... I think in Scott's story, you're hearing um, like an underlying tone of there was perfection from the higher ups and imperfection from Scott, mm. right? And it's like no, no, no. Everyone has their issues, yeah. and uh, like I remember because I so Scott and I used to work. We worked at the same for the same organization, and I remember when I left, I was like, man, there's just the the lead guy I've known the lead guy for twenty five years, um, and super nice guy like Scott said super really nice guy but um, he had his quirks and his quirks were he just had no uh, direction that he was being pulled so many different ways and like he would latch on to different ideas really quickly and kind of run with them uh, and that and he didn't have anybody to like calm him down or anybody like i'm an ideas guy in general Mm -hmm. but we have uh at our church we have a leadership team that's just like you know let's just cool it for that for a little bit you know (laughs) (laughs) i'm like yeah i'm like okay uh but at some point i'm like you know and they just never really afforded him that same Mm -hmm. grace uh and they they turned it into a numbers game and over the summer is just that's bullshit Yeah, try to do that over the summer. Yeah, no one wants to go to church when it's nice out. Yeah, especially in the north. Yeah, you know, in the south you're like it's always nice, but in the north you're like it's only nice. Yeah, so we gotta get to like we gotta get to the beach. We gotta do this, and so to try to grow a church by 150 Mm. in in during that time is just that's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, it's it's 100 percent unattainable. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. So there was definitely like, uh. They were looking at for reasons to get rid of him, yeah. kind of a thing, which is unfortunate for him because he's yeah. Like when I like Scott's really, if you couldn't tell, he's really good head on his shoulders, super smart, can bring a lot to a congregation of people. Mm-hmm. You know, he can bring a yeah. lot of wisdom it's, and. It's and unfortunate when someone like he's clearly still passionate about it and what he was doing there. And it's just unfortunate to see that taken away from someone for yeah. Something so trivial, you yeah. know, um, and without counseling or without um, some more checks and balances or no oversight. Yeah, you know, I don't know. It's just really unfortunate. But anyway, mm-hmm. this was a long one, but yeah, I think it up. I well think, worth it. Uh, yeah, it was an excellent a conversation. Lot of so good question your in there. freaking mega churches. <laughs> yeah, qu- honestly, yeah. Question, question your uh, pastor's tr- uh, faith, church, all that jazz. What we say, but also question uh, why your your staff. And the church gets well, your fired pastor sometimes. pastor got killed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Don't kill your pastor, guys. Yeah. Don't just read that eulogy. Yeah. Be part Ask of it. questions. Yeah. You know, yeah. most likely if, if your pastor got fired, uh, there's a bigger issue than what they let off. Yeah. So. Anyway. Well, look well, into it. 
So, all right, uh, we'll we'll end it there. Thank you, Scott, again for mm-hmm. joining us. We'll have you back on soon. Um, in the meantime, I am Jesse. I'm Evan. I'm Jen. And that was Christian. Christian A. Yeah.